everyone. Welcome to the Covenant Eyes podcast. I am one of your hosts, Karen Potter, joined today with my co-host, Brandon Clark. We have a, a really extraordinary guest joining us today. Yeah, we're really excited to welcome Father Sean Kokali from the Diocese of Lincoln. He has <laughs> many, many wonderful things that he does in the diocese uh, and for our church. So let's just welcome him in. Father Sean, thanks so much for being on with us this morning. Thanks, Brendan. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, it's very nice to meet you, Karen, for the first time. Father, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do in the diocese? And uh, particularly, I mean, you you have a a focus on the area of pornography and creating resources for intervention and healing. Yeah, so I have been the uh, director of the Office for Family Life for about the last nine years. And and as director of the Office for Family Life, there's lots of different aspects to that job. Um, I was really inspired by Pope Francis at the beginning of his pontificate when he talked about a couple of things. Um, like one of the lines that always resonated with me was that he was it was at the chrism mass and he was talking about how the chrism oil is poured on the priest's hands at ordination. And, and the chrism oil has this smell of... Um, it's kind of a perfumey smell, right? And uh, and then he and what he contrasted that with was that you have to smell like your sheep. And in other words, like the, the people have to know that that they can come to you, that they can talk to you, that um, you have to be accessible to them. You know, which which is consistent with many of the things that fathers of the church have written about Saint Gregory the Great, Saint Augustine, with regard to pastoring our flocks, and um, and and the other thing that he he emphasizes over and over and over again is is the need to hear the gospel proclaimed and, and to go out to the peripheries and and to proclaim the gospel to those who most need to hear it. And um and as I started in the office for a family life, what I started out doing was you know teaching all of the marriage preparation classes, and I was I had been teaching theology of the body to high school students and. And in 2000, 2013, 2014, what I started to notice was that exposure to pornography had gone down to between eight and 11 years old, that more and more people in the church were struggling with it, that that people maybe that we don't expect to be struggling with it are actually struggling with it. And, um, and so it became a focus, and I would say it became a focus out of necessity, um, because what I'm most zealous about is is that Jesus is a real person and that everything that he says is true and, and to include that, you know, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, um, that we can have joy and and that we really can be free. And um and so I started, you know, giving some talks to parents and and looking for resources and that's when when I met um, some of the some of the execs at Covenant Ice and developed a relationship so many years ago, which which has been a blessing for me, in um, in my priesthood, and so so there's lots of different hats that I wear. Um, probably what I what I enjoy most is just spending my time with people who are discovering the love of Christ, and uh, and really like stepping into that abundant life. Um, and, uh, recently I've also become the pastor of two small parishes outside of Lincoln, um, which has also just been an incredible joy. Um, 
to to live out my priesthood and and kind of the ordinary things of of the church's life and and not you know simply or, or so much focused on a particular special ministry. You know, the uh, smell like the sheep thing is very interesting, considering our topic today, walking with those enslaved to sin. And we're going to be looking at just for our listeners, uh, we'll post this link in the show notes as well. Uh, There's a series that we have on Clean Heart Online called New Evangelization in the Hypersexualized Culture. And what it focuses on is what you are just saying, reaching out to the peripheries, not being afraid to get into the the grime, the muck with those who are struggling and walking with them. So, you know, as we talk about proclaiming the gospel in a hyper-sexualized culture, Father, what does that look like? I think it looks like, it really looks like what it's always looked like, Um and and I think where where sometimes we get stuck or fear steps in is is in this place where sometimes we're afraid of the fact that we need to proclaim the gospel and um, and that maybe the people that are in church every Sunday need to hear the gospel proclaimed to them as if they haven't already heard it and and to discover that there's something new that that the Lord desires for them. And, um, and so, so it really, it means being fearless in, in proclaiming the gospel wherever, wherever we go. Um, and, and that is something that's been developed in, in church documents. Um, one of the interesting things to compare is in Catechese Trudende, which is John Paul II's, um, apostolic letter on catechesis. He says that, you know, we have to evangelize before we catechize, recognizing that there are some who have not yet heard the gospel proclaimed, or there are some who have not yet heard the kerygma, and the kerygma is the first proclamation of Christ's saving love. Um, when we read Evangelii Gaudium from Pope Francis years later, he writes, on the lips of the catechist, the first proclamation must ring out over and over, Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. He's now walking at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. This first proclamation is called first, not because it comes at the beginning and then can be forgotten or replaced by other more important things. It's first in a qualitative sense. And the shift is, it seems to be that that under the pontificate of John Paul II in the 80s and the 90s, um, there were some who hadn't yet heard the gospel proclaimed. And, and maybe we recognize that there are some people in the church who are still in need of a deep conversion. Um, the way Pope Francis writes and the way that he speaks, he, he sort of just kind of speaks as if all of us need to hear it. And and uh, and maybe we just need to roll back and and start again from the beginning. And, and that's a lot of what happens in addiction recovery is that addiction recovery is a conversion process. And, and it's always about learning, our hearts learning to seek our Lord as our refuge instead of whatever thing it is that we might have developed an attachment to, you know, whether that's pornography, masturbation, food, um, excessive binge watching on Netflix, uh, our social media accounts, um, you know, whatever our heart desires when we're bored, lonely, angry, stressed, tired, feeling agitated, feeling unaffirmed, um, and our hearts learning that the Lord is the one who 
is truly capable of responding to those desires. And, um, and so, so it is about learning, you know, maybe from the beginning that, that the Lord is capable of meeting all our needs, um, which means that it is a process of evangelization and, and it can't be separate from a process of evangelization. You know, it has to be that it has to be gospel centered and, and it has to be centered on, you know, learning to surrender our hearts. That's so true and so beautiful. Um, I was recently reading one of your blog posts um, that where you talk a little bit about pornography and how it's a distortion of uh, relationships and love the way that it was designed. I know that your work with Theology of the Body um, Institute and things like that, you guys dive into that beautifully. Can you talk a little bit more about um, how pornography distorts that view and how it drives us away from our true refuge, which, you know, is our Lord, obviously. No, I, th I think there's lots of ways to answer that question. Um, you know, the simplest way of answering that question is maybe just that, you know, we're just taking in like a false vision of, of what love is all about. And, um, and, and oftentimes it, it generates confusion about relationships. You know, it leads to objectifying people. All those things are consequences. Um, but, but at the heart of things, there's also, um, and just the confusion that happens because of pornography exposure and and it you know it it's something that our sexuality is so sensitive and and it's so beautiful um and it's also really difficult and for young people you know puberty has always been hard right like it's kind of one of the things i like to emphasize is puberty is hard for everybody and it just makes it harder when it's complicated by exposure to pornography, a lot of different ideas or anti-gospel ideas that are presented to us. And, and, um, and sometimes that distortion, it comes in, maybe we misdiagnose what's going on in our emotional life, or, or we, we tend to name things and, and maybe there's another explanation for them. Um, and, and young people more than ever today need, need, people to walk with them and just navigating what it means to become a young man and what it means to become a young woman and making that transition through adolescence. Um, so many of the phone calls that I receive are from parents who, who really desire their children to live, you know, holy lives and, and to live in relationship with our Lord. Um, and they find themselves in crisis because no matter how hard they've tried to protect them from the world, um, the world's found its way into into their children's lives, and um, and there's just such a need for the church to support families in in navigating the culture and in and learning to live, you know, as Christians in a secular world or in a pagan world in many ways. You know, um, I know in one of your talks, I believe, or maybe it was a blog post that you did um, a while back, you talk about the phone and our technology as the fish or the snake. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when you were speaking about parents, um, oftentimes a lot of parents call into Covenant Eyes because, you know, they just found out their child was exposed to pornography on their phone. They, you know, they want to get Covenant Eyes installed. They want to block it. They don't know what to do. I think part of it is that we don't really understand that the phone like you call, you know, it can be a fish or it can be a snake <laughs> and, and we have to really understand it and then train our, our children to use it as a tool uh, for good and, and then teach them the dangers that are out there as well. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, the you know technology just presents a lot of gifts and and a lot of liabilities at the same time, and and so so there is you know this this issue that a lot of times you know young people like they almost have to have a phone. We've become a society that's dependent on that form of communication. Um, oftentimes, high schools they communicate via different apps or things like that, and and if you don't have a smartphone it's hard to communicate with organizations or teams or whatever it might be. Um, I do hope for the day when our schools, you know, really look at that more responsibly and, and what safeguards can they put in place? Um, and so, so there are also tools that we can employ for that tool to, to help it to be a safer environment. Um, and, and safeguards are, I always say like safeguards are like bumper bowling. Um, you know, like when you're bumper bowling, you have safeguards so that you don't throw a gutter ball so you can build up your confidence while you learn to throw the ball at the pins. Right. So eventually when the, when the bumpers aren't there, you still know how to hit the pins and, and in much the same way, the safeguards we put in place for technology and, and whether that's various forms of filtering, using Covenant Eyes, although those things, they're, they're ways of keeping us from going in the gutter. Um, but then like the, the heavy lifting is, is really teaching someone to hit the pins, right? And teaching our hearts to be oriented in the right direction because a temptation I think is to focus so much on the boundaries that we set that we never actually learn to orient our hearts and it creates this false belief that the problem is out there when really like the problem is a problem of the heart and, and where's our heart oriented. And, and so we put those things in place so that we can orient our hearts. So that when the day comes, when they're not there, we're good to go. You know, like I think when I was a kid, I remember once I was in gymnastics and we were supposed to like jump up and grab the bar and, uh, and there was somebody there to help boost us, right. To give us a little bit of a lift when we jumped and I remember just like going, eh, I'm not really going to jump. I'm just going to kind of kind of jump and make them lift me. And <laughs> right. So I never became a good gymnast um, because I wasn't like orienting myself in the right direction. And, and sometimes the way we navigate the Internet can be the same. Like I'm going to put these safeguards up and I'm just going to kind of bump into them and, and rely on them entirely. Um, and, and that takes away from them being a tool to help us to orient their hearts. And, uh, and that's, it's something that I think needs to be emphasized over and over and over and over again. And I think too, uh, another safeguard could be as you were hinting at, or you weren't hinting at it, but you were talking a little bit about people walking beside us, you know, having that person jump up and help us grab the bar. That's a really good thing. But father, what I would like to talk about is just this tension between the fidelity to church teaching and not wanting to fall into sin and yet being able to enter the life of somebody who, let's just say for the sake of, of the podcast, is struggling with pornography. You know, can you talk a little bit about that um, and what our role is and, and the discernment even involved uh, of if the Lord is calling us to something like that? Because it's it's not for everybody, but there are people who are called to that. Yeah, so there's a there's a paragraph in Amoris Laetitia that 
that I go back to over and over and over again, because I think it's often overlooked. And it, it says this, although she constantly holds up the call to perfection and asks for a fuller response to God. Right. And so it's emphasized in that line. We have to constantly hold up the call to perfection and ask for a fuller response to God, which means we always teach the truth. We always teach what we believe, you know, about human sexuality, human dignity, the call to love. Um, so although we constantly do that, the church must accompany with attention and care the weakest of her children who show signs of a wounded and troubled love, like the beacon of a lighthouse or in a port or a torch carried among the faithful to enlighten those who have lost their way or who are in the midst of a storm. And, and what that presents is, is sort of two things that, that can seem opposed. Um, and, and really we have a temptation to fall into one or the other. So, so to hold up the call to perfection and ask for a further response to God, I would say is the role of the theologian. And, and that's where we teach like Orthodox teaching about human love and sexuality. And, and we make distinctions about what constitutes sin and what doesn't constitute sin, what constitutes a grave sin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and then the other one is the role of like the pastor evangelizer, the accompaniment, the person who's walking with someone. And, and that's the person who, who's willing to enter into the difficulty of somebody's life and walk them towards the lights. Right. And, and so we can have people who focus on the first and not the second. And those are people who maybe present things like, well, like this is the truth and you're committing a sin and you need to just stop. Right. And you need to just like engage your willpower. And then all of our lapses, they just become moral failures. And like, I'm not good enough. And it can lead to a kind of Pelagianism, which is a heresy that says I can work out my own salvation without grace. Um, but then there's also a temptation to, to kind of just say, well, people are really wounded and they're so broken and there's no way that they can actually live the church's teaching. And so, so we just need to go and be with them and be merciful and be welcoming, but never call them to conversion. Right. And, and we don't actually walk with them anywhere. We just kind of go find them in the darkness and we hang out with them in the darkness and, and there's a, a sort of that's also based on this idea that I can that I have to be saved by my own merit because it's saying, well, because I can't by my own power be free, I have to lower the church's cheat teaching or lower the standard. And and really, we need to have the ability to say, like, this is the light. Right. This is the truth. I came to you may have life and have it more abundantly. You're, it's possible for you to be free. You can actually be free. You can actually have joy. And and I'm going to come and meet you where you are. And I'm going to walk with you towards the light. And what keeps us from doing so oftentimes it's it can be a fear of scandal. It can be a fear of make it seeming like I'm saying your behaviors are OK um, all of those things can keep us from actually going with somebody, developing a relationship and saying, you know, our Lord wants more for you and you can be more, you know, it's a little bit like 
motherhood and fatherhood you know motherhood is motherhood begins at conception you know and motherhood love is like i always have a relationship with my child each of us have had a relationship with our child since we were created and and fatherhood sort of enters from the outside gabriel marcel is a french philosopher who talks about how fatherhood starts from nothingness and and we're born into the world and then our father is this stranger who's kind of outside of that experience of love that we've always known and he's one who calls us to be more like he he's one who he's kind of curious and he's at a distance and he calls us to be more and and so maternal love is in in divine love is, is really represented by god's mercy and like i always love you where you are and paternal love is represented by that divine call to perfection and, and saying you can be more right and we all need a mother and a father we all need both of those things working together and and we find ourselves so much um kind of caught in feeling like we have to choose between the two um but it is a hard needle to thread uh, Father John Harvey was the founder of the Courage Apostolate, which is an apostolate for people who experience same-sex attraction. And there's a line that he writes about the relationship between a counselor and a client. And he says this, that, that the counselor can never affirm the behaviors of the client, which he you know, believes are bad for them. However, the client has to come to a place where he believes that the counselor is always going to be with there for him and is always going to love him, even if he perseveres in those behaviors. Hmm. Right. Which is a hard needle to thread. It, it, you know, it's like I don't I, I don't agree with you about what you believe a human person is or I don't believe agree with you about these behaviors. However, like I'm not going anywhere. And, and I'm going to stay with you and, and I'm going to love you even though I don't. And that's when we experience the kind of mercy that transforms our hearts. You know, when, when we can go to our Lord, we can, when we can go to another and they don't think we've done the right thing, but they continue to relentlessly love us. And, and to speak the love of God into our hearts and, and to be an image of God's love in our lives. And, and that's what we find in, you know, really strong 12 step groups is, is where you find a sponsor. And he's like, you know, like, this is where we're going and, and you're free. You can be, you're free to engage in this process or not engage in this process. If you want in, I am totally with you and, and I'm going to walk with you. Right. But I'm not going to, let you um, sort of stay in the dark, you know, because because the light is so good, right? The light is so good that I want you to I want you to experience that. There's so many good things to impact their father. As I as we think about those who are struggling um, and maybe are even listening to this podcast right now, uh, they might feel alone. They might feel a lot of shame. There's so many different feelings that one experiences when they're struggling. You know, what message would you have for them? First of all, about their struggle, but then also about reaching out for help. Because one of the things that Covenant Eyes is, is very big on is that ally relationship, having somebody to journey with you. So I think that the, the first step is admitting that we need help, right? It's admitting that we need help. And... And then being willing to do whatever it takes 
and and the whatever it takes like sometimes with the whatever it takes is is making a phone call and saying i need help and it's it might be walking into a 12-step fellowship room it might be calling up a therapist and saying look i can't do this on my own anymore and and sometimes that is the greatest asceticism that we enter into, you know, sometimes people want to enter into ascetical practices and discipline themselves or, or they want to find like the special healing pastor or the special healing priest where they can get healed. And then nobody has to know they had a problem, um, which is totally inconsistent with the gospels. Um, there's nobody in the gospels who gets healed and then actually keeps it a secret. Um, <laughs> they, they want to go and tell everybody about it. And, and so, so I just would encourage people to not be afraid, you know, and, and not be afraid of doing whatever it takes because, um, like we have a problem with vulnerability and, and the only way out of, you know, the only way out of our shame is to be vulnerable and, and to step into that place. And, and if you like have a covenantized ally you need to have like really serious conversations about what that relationship means to you and what your expectations are and what their expectations are. And, and, um, because there's lots of temptations that come in that relationship, you know, there's the temptation to, um, sort of say my covenantized ally is the guy who gets the email that says I looked at pornography, but I hope he doesn't open it. Um, and we wait around for our person to call us instead of like, okay, my covenantized ally is going to get my report, but I'm going to call him every single day, or I'm going to call her every single day. And I'm just going to check in about how I'm doing in life. And we're actually going to have a friendship and we're actually going to have a vulnerable relationship. And it's not merely somebody who is monitoring my internet activity, but, but there's somebody helping me to like hit the pins, you know, and not just sort of an extra layer of, you know, bumpers, um, to keep me from going and throwing gutter balls. And, uh, and sometimes that's the hardest, you know, that's the hardest part. And, and as a church, you know, I really have a hope and a dream that the church becomes a place where, um, that the church just becomes a place where sinners can go to find our Lord and, and not a place where we go and we're afraid of letting people know who we are, or we're afraid if they find out about us, that they'll reject us or where people are alienated by their friends or their Bible study members because something came out about their life. Um, mm. and, and I often, whenever I speak at men's conferences, I say, like, you really need to look into your hearts and, and decide whether you can turn to the person next to you and say, you could tell me anything and I'm going to be here for you. Um, because we don't always open the doors to that kind of relationship, but that's the kind of relationship that exists and, and that needs to exist and that can exist. And it would be like transformative for the world if we actually can live into um, that identity that, that we're meant to have as a church. That was beautiful. Father Sean, how do we in a world, you know, with social media and everything is very facade, you know, it's just we put up these fronts on Instagram and, you know, filters and all these things in our lives. How do we as a church grow in that way to foster those deeper, um, you know, more meaningful relationships with our allies like that? It's it's hard. How do we do that? Yeah, I, I, I just think, 
it comes with experience of other people who have learned to live that way. And, and so, um, yeah, so I know in my own experience, there was a period in my life where I started going to Al-Anon meetings um, because of, because we have alcoholics in our family and like many, many, many people do. And I remember going to one of these meetings and, and, um, and I'd had the experience in the past of trying to share some of my struggles with, um, with even my brother priests. And they all sort of looked at me like, how could you say that about your family? And, and like, uh, like they, they just didn't know how to respond to me. And then I went to this Al-Anon meeting and I just kind of sort of shared really vulnerably about what it was like. And everybody just sort of like laughed in a knowing way, you know, like, uh, mm. like, Oh, you're home. Don't worry. And, and it was, it was the, it was a revelatory experience. And, um, and, and then what my heart learned is it prefers those relationships to facade relationships and, and facade relationships just lead to loneliness. Um, it just leads to loneliness. Loneliness is the result of not being known. And if we're spending all our time on impression management, um, it's going to be really hard for us to have a sense of community. It's going to have a, it's going to be really hard for us to have a sense that we're loved by anyone. And, and so, so it just takes a few people saying, okay, we want to live differently and, and we want to live lives that, you know, are real and we want to have relationships that are real. And, uh, and it might start just with, you know, a few people in a friend group and, and a really honest conversation, like, you know, how much facade is there in our friend group and like, how could we, <laughs> be more real. And, and if we don't trust each other, what can we do to build that? And, uh, and I think that's really important and, and we should avoid and just be aware that sometimes unknowingly we shut down vulnerability for other people and the way that we might speak judgmentally about, you know, what goes on in the world. And, and we might, um, there's lots of issues where we can do things like that. You know, like we can do that with the issue of abortion. We can do that with the issue of pornography. We can do that with, you know, the issue of gluttony, you know, like gluttony is something we never do, you know, like, like, like nobody ever sits around and talks about like, oh, I'm really working on like not committing gluttony. And because we're afraid of offending <laughs> somebody that might be overweight in our friend group, um, and, and I don't understand why, like, like we can be so, oh, we can't, we can't mention that one because we might like step on somebody's feelings, but we can talk about these other ones, um, you know, that doesn't, it just, there's, there's just a lot of room for healing in our lives and in our hearts and in our communities. Father, if anybody wants to learn more about you, uh, discover some of your resources, I know you have a book, Reclaiming Sexual Wholeness, that you contributed on. Where would they go to find this information? Yeah, so Reclaiming Sexual Wholeness, uh, I think that the release date for that is coming up in about 10 days. And it's a really great uh, collection of different authors and different chapters on different aspects of sexual addiction. Um from a neuroscience point of view, from a relationship point of view, from a betrayed spouse point of view, from, um, I write a couple of chapters and one's on just the Catholic perspective and another one's on theology of the body. My YouTube channel is pretty easy to find. And I usually 
upload like every talk I give there. Um, I can also, I also have a podcast that can be found on um, SoundCloud or on iTunes um, where people can find me. And um, I've got a couple other things in the works, but, uh, but they're just like in the preliminary phases right now. So, so we'll stay tuned about any, uh, any of that. Yeah. We'll have you on to uh, when those things come to fruition, we'll have you on to talk more about them. Great. Father, thanks so much. And just a note for our listeners, we'll put all of the things that we've talked about, the YouTube channel, the podcast, SoundCloud, the link to the book, all in the show notes so that you can go and find everything there. (laughs) Father, we're grateful for your time today. Thank you so much for being on with us and sharing some really great nuggets of wisdom. Thank you, Brennan. And thank you, Karen. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Karen, uh, any takeaways for you today? So many, but I think when we started talking about the ally and the, you know, having that friend that can walk alongside us, it's just such a beautiful reminder that we've got work to do. You know, as Christians, we've got some work to do in the church because, you know, we have some of those relationships, but gosh, how many people, you know, are lacking in those relationships and, and, you know, we need to be there for other people. So that was just a really good reminder to me personally, you know, to, to really work in that space and to help foster that. But how about you, Brandon? What'd you take away? You know, I love the bowling analogy that we can have bumpers, all the bumpers actually in the world. But if we're not trying to hit the pins, then we're really not going anywhere. And so a recognition that the safeguards we put in place are actually to make us better, to help us grow in holiness, to break free of those things rather than keep us in our sin. You know, it's it's like Jesus, he, he met the woman at the well and he knew what she was involved with he knew her life but he didn't let her stay there and so that's that's just a good reminder of of just you know when we're walking with somebody and then ourselves like we don't want to stay in our sinful lives we don't want to continue to do the things that we're not proud of we want to grow in our relationship with christ because true freedom comes in him alone karen This was such a great conversation. Father Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. We do appreciate your your reviews. So if you listen to us on the the Apple iTunes store, please leave us a, a few comments and a review. We appreciate all your feedback. Until next time, everyone, thank you and God bless from Covenant Eyes. 